Hi, hello. Welcome to episode 65 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And you guys, we're all sitting at home. It's currently pouring rain here in Seattle, Washington. I am recovering from a head cold, so I'm sure I sound awesome on the audio this week. I'll be muting myself to cough later, I'm sure. Um, But I was wondering, you know, we haven't really talked a little bit about kind of the closure of 2023, the start of 2024, and I'm wondering if you all set any New Year's resolutions this year. Oh, boy. Well, I'm sorry it's raining. It's frozen precipitation over here. We have some snow, which I was running in. And nice. I like feel like I tense up because I just hate the ice. Anyways, um, it was fine. Uh, I ran with Ellie, your athlete, this morning too. Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't know. New Year's resolutions, like, I'm just a fan of like. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I set them. I just I'm just a fan of like reflection on the year and. I think every year it's like you learn something that you didn't really plan to. Uh, and I think some things I just want to carry over into this year um, are just more community events and um, more, uh, just more time spent like inter- interacting with the person I am outside of sport. I think that's important. So um, I know those are very general, but they're they seem specific to me. <laughs> no, I think that like Stephen and I were joking about this because my resolutions are like very nebulous and kind of woo woo. And his are like, <laughs> I'm going to foam roll for five minutes every day. And I was like, okay, let's like, let's, I will try to find some smart goals and I need you to try to find some woo woo. And we've like come together to have resolutions that fit like those that. genres. But I was like, man, not mine are like very broad. Mine are, um, be focusing more on energy in versus energy out. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So like working on working on my own stuff, my own energy, as opposed to wasting energy on other people's mm. stuff. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Mine's kind of like funny. Um, I think it's just because where I'm in in life, like I'm gonna start something that's like pretty time consuming and hard in August. So I'm like, cool, the resolution for the year is just like do everything that brings me a lot of joy. And I feel like Obviously, med school is going to bring me a lot of joy, but I think like when I'm planning my race season, I'm just thinking of like what brings me the most stoke because this could be like the last, you know, hoorah for a bit where I get to go wherever I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because once you're once I'm in school, it's like, who knows what I'll be able to fit in? It's kind of like a question mark right now. So, yeah, just embracing like fun and stoke and doing what brings me all that. Yeah, you got that. Steven's been working through his scarcity mindset. That's like his like medical school gave him this like scarcity mindset where he's like, I have to do I've got tomorrow off. I'm skiing like, no, don't care if it's bad snow. Don't care if the conditions are horrible. Like I am skiing because I've got a scarcity mindset. And now as a medical resident, like in his home state, he's like, OK, cool. I can like create a mindset that's like grounded in abundance and as opposed mm-hmm. to being like, I have to do this thing right now. So which probably feels way healthier. I mean, ups and downs of it all, right? True. <laughs> well, we'll reflect a little bit more on like learnings for 2023 here in a little bit. But first, we're going to dive into some news. It's obviously a little bit of a light time of year. Sorry, Feed first. If they're going to pay for title, should we do them first? Should we just do it right now? I think we should do feed now. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yep. Okay. I'll cut it, obviously. But yep. yeah. Okay. I'm just going to scroll so I've got it in front of me. Before we dive into news and results and our meat and potatoes for today, though, we have to give a shout out to our 
bestest of friends, I feel like at this point, and it's the folks over at The Feed. They are continuing with us into 2024, and we know that you all love them as well. I know that we're all getting ready to order our next kind of snack boxes from them. And again, we do that. You can do that over at www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you can get a $15 credit quarterly and hopefully some other fun things this year that we're going to be working on them with. And I'm wondering, what are you guys most excited about ordering in that next snack box? Can I say waffles? Is that yours, Corinne? No, um, we can share the waffles. No, it's I know. Fine. There are some limited editions because it's like, you know, the winter season. Um, but honestly, I think one of my favorite things, because um, I'm also an athlete with the feed uh, on like the high performance team, they send little like uh, uh, samples of some of the new nutrition products that they're going to be going to be selling out to see if like the athletes like them and give any feedback. Mm-hmm. And there's been a few that I really like, like this new brand, it's called Velo Forte. And like mm-hmm. some of the gels are actually like one of them flavors, like blood orange. And I actually use this a lot in Thailand because it was like, mm-hmm. um, it was refreshing and it had like some extra electrolytes. And then they also have some different bars. Like that's one brand I was actually, I, I reordered, I reordered some stuff there just from literally a sample pack. I was like, ah, oh, I need some more of these things. So it's just like new refreshing flavors that I hadn't really had before. Mm-hmm. Yuli, what about you? I mean, I definitely want to steal your waffle thunder, but I think everybody knows we love them now. So I won't, but they, yeah, I'll let you take that one. Um, but I'm definitely a convert now. I say like what I'm most excited about is this is not going to be a shock to anybody there's a new coffee that they have that's a holiday blend and like i'm such a sucker for holiday blends but it's also like really really like hearty and it's really good in espresso it's like by the coffee ride yeah actually it's like such a good coffee i bought three bags of it last last go around and i might like really stock up this time just because you know it's seasonal so it might go away Um, So that's kind of what I'm leaning towards right now, especially because it's such like a warm season. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I obviously like also really like stock up on granola and waffles and all sorts of breakfast stuff. I think that's my go-to for the feed. And obviously I'm buying as many bags of the (laughs) cookies and cream limited edition waffles that I can get my hands on. And for those of you wondering, I toast them. I keep them in my freezer And then morning of like when I'm going to, I've got to leave in 15 minutes to go to the trailhead. I'm popping that thing in my toaster oven and then I'm taking it with me in the car on my way to the trailhead. And it is so good. You will potentially burn yourself on like the oozing molten, molten sugar that comes out of these, (laughs) these waffles, but, um, it's worth it. Trust me, the scars, it's fine. Um, so (laughs) if you want to get any of that and so much more, again, your one-stop shop for all your nutrition needs, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society and now the news it's kind of a light news and results time of year we're waiting for racing to get going um you know bandier is not a golden ticket race this year etc so we're, we're kind of we're uh we've been trolling through the internets to find some stuff to talk about and one thing that i pulled out this week was um on new year's day the first puck dropped on the Women's Professional Hockey League. And it's been really cool to see. I grew up in a hockey community in northern Wisconsin. If you're from Wisconsin or Minnesota or Canada, I think hockey is like a must do in your life. Um, So it's been really cool to see that there's a professional pipeline for women now, kind of outside of the collegiate and Olympic pipeline, because that's really been it for women in the hockey world. 
Um, so the, the first puck dropped on New Year's Day and they had over 13,000 people in attendance, um, just like really already seeing a return on investment for the fans, the sponsors, the media partners that have been showing up to this inaugural season. Um, and the most interesting thing that came out recently was that more high profile Canadian brands are backing the league, including Air Canada becoming the first premier partner and the first official airline for all six of the women's pro teams. And then additionally, big kind of news broke where all 72 games of the season will have a broadcast stream for them um, across different partners, which I think is really, really cool. So another pipeline for women's sports, I think is always really important. And then another bit of news was that I like in a, in a cold medicine induced haze last night, I like shared an Instagram post to Keely. Um, and I'm wondering, she was going to dig into it a little bit deeper and I'm wondering what you found there. <laughs> yeah, I'd actually, I'd seen that too, but I feel like it was a lot. It was a very overwhelming post because there's so many stats in it. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like a year end synopsis of like how funding has gone for women's sports and how it's kind of growing for 2024 and how that is, um, equated to new media deals for specifically college sports and professional sports for women. Um, and so on that note, looking at this post, the first thing I noticed was talking about NCAA basketball, women's basketball. And I think that the fun thing about this is that a long time ago, like over the last 10 years, women's NCAA basketball has been touted as something that's never going to gain steam and like something that people don't watch and all of these things. And it's slowly been growing over the years and it's taken a huge grow growth curve this year um, with basically growing from net worth of six or 7 million to around 65 million over the next eight years. That's um, massive. Which is a huge jump. Um, and I think that there's been a lot of reasons why this has happened. Obviously, like you're you're increasing the amount of exposure so more people are watching. But there's also been a ton of like really stellar players coming through the NCAA mm -hmm. in the women's field. And most notably for this year is Caitlin Clark from Iowa. Um, she Phenomenal. is just a freaking beast. And she's also like super confident and like really fun to watch. Like she gets so stoked when she has a really good game too. And all of her teammates get really stoked when she has a good game. And it just feels like this really wholesome, stellar athlete. And she's like been compared to, you know, King, like King James, like LeBron James and showing that her first 15 games of the season have been only compared to his because he's the only other basketball athlete that has actually done what she's done. And so like being compared to him, that's pretty awesome. Um, whereas like in 15, 15 games, she's had over 450 points over a hundred rebounds and, um, assists and like a 0.9 win percentage for her team, which is just awesome. It shows that like, not only is she shining, but she's letting her, she's helping her team shine too. And so I think with her being such a star, she's drawn a lot of fans to the sport. She's also really motivated to help increase the visibility in women's basketball. So it's just super fun to watch. Um, and then this post also talked about like the WNBA and the National Women's Soccer League and how they've also seen the biggest growth in this last year than they have in their whole entirety of their career as well, with the WNBA having the most watched season in 20 years and the NWSL surpassing a million fans in attendance for a regular season, um, which is landing them big broadcast deals as well. So it's just been fun to reflect on the year and see how women's sports growing. And again, it's like, we invested in women's sports a couple of years ago and now we're seeing like those payoffs, right? We're seeing how it's helping the sport grow and now they're landing even more money and that will just continue to snowball. Yeah. And then you're seeing it too. And like, 
uh, rough and tumble, the bar here in West Seattle and, uh, um, for like, it's a women's sports bar. You're seeing that in the sports bra in mm-hmm. Portland, <laughs> like these businesses are becoming mega profitable and people are like, you couldn't get in the door to watch the women's like final soccer matches of the year. Like the rain were in them and you like could not could not get in the door to watch them at this women's sports bar here in Seattle because it was at capacity. So I think they're just, people keep harshing on women's sports about how, you know, it's the secondary thing. It's the exhibition event. And it's just like, man, the numbers aren't saying that the numbers don't lie. And I think it's just, I mean, it brings me a lot of joy to see that translate into more money going into the sports more like that continues to increase viewership. There's a bunch of worry about the economy, um, kind of tanking sporting events in the next like year or two. Um, and by that, I just mean that like they're expensive to go to that. You're going to see like loss of sales, et cetera. But mm-hmm. actually they think that women's sports is like specifically set up to weather that really well in part because our, like to get a ticket into a rain game is cheaper than getting a ticket into, you know, a, professional football game like a like a Seahawks game here in Seattle etc so it's like they believe that women's sports will weather any sort of economic downturn in a big way just because it's it's uh, our access to them has become easier and greater so yeah and I think also something like you know what we did too at the end of at end of 2023 was donate to three different organizations and it's like continuing to put money into sports and like girls as well and developing that and so like for women's sports eventually so um it's you're looking for, you know, some extra investor and investing in some tax breaks, um, (laughs) invest in women's sports. It'll make you feel good. Um, so we've got a kind of a a light results thing. First, we're gonna give a shout out to Miss Sophia Lockley, who won her first world cup over the weekend. Um, tour de ski has been going on. It's like the inaugural kickoff of the new year every year in the cross country skiing world cup. Um, her teammate, Jesse Diggins won the tour outright, stayed in the leader's Jersey the whole week. And then, yeah, she ended up, Sophia ended up climbing, literally climbing to the top of the podium. They end the seven day ski tour with an uphill stage. Um, it's like a 40 minute hill climb, basically like they end up up, they end up up on an Alpine Hill. It's insane. Um, and Sophia won, I think by like 17 seconds over Heidi Wang, who's a very talented Norwegian athlete. Um, so yeah, Yeah, I was seeing the replays. So it looked cool. in, it looked intense, and I and she was like with her, and then it's like she like fell and she got back up, and yeah, it was really oh cool. yeah, <laughs> and she also like you can just tell like in skiing when you're pulling on both sides, it's called V two, and generally you're using it on like more gradual terrain or flatter terrain, and then you like go to V one, so you're pulling on one side, um, as things get steeper, and like she charges ahead of Heidi like V twoing up this hill, and you're just like holy crap like you are so strong um just like unbelievably powerful and coordinated i cannot for the life of me get v2 down no we'll, way we'll work on it we'll, okay. we'll have a, we'll have a, some ski clinic <laughs> sessions here um but yes yeah, so i have to give sophia a shout out and then we just wanted to reflect because this will come out after all the troy the trail runner of the year awards are done at free trail um if you want to find those you can go to freetrail.com i've put out a daily post every day for the top 10 um the results are also on Instagram. And again, this is part of the fantasy free trail. I don't even know what it is. World takeover. <laughs> um, Travis Longcar has built for us and it's at fantasy.freetrail.com, I believe. And and you can, you know, we do it for UTMB. We do it for Western States. We do it for the ticket races. We do it for really any race where we, where we're like, okay, there's enough of a competitive depth here where we can like pick a top five or a top 10 at these 
things and then we're scoring a season long so like if you played all season you can end up like walking away like the champion of fantasy trail for the year but we also had a year-end vote for trail runner of the year with the top 10 men and top 10 women getting recognized and so i'm just going to read off the top 10 women and the top 10 men and then i'm curious to hear kind of your thoughts on it briefly um but to give them shout outs i'm going to go backwards so 10th blondine ninth ruth croft eighth leah yingling seventh claire banworth sixth judith wider um fifth grayson murphy fourth tony mccann third sophia lockley second katie shide first courtney DeWalter. any surprises there i mean it's just I, i'm just so hard by all of it no offense because it's like trail running in general there's so many people who are right worthy of this list that like picking 10 in all of these disciplines I think is so hard so I think I was shocked by some but also like everyone on this list deserves to be acknowledged so obviously from that level I wasn't shocked but I think like figuring out where people go is like so hard so yeah it's it's yeah. really tough but all these women obviously had stellar years so they all deserve right. to be to be uh acknowledged Totally. I, I completely agree. It's like, it's, it's so many different running disciplines, not only like with distance, oh, like ultra so running, hard. mountain it's running, so trail running. Like we have like the Euro Sky right? running. Like, yeah. All of that. So there's like, a, I think it's cool to do like a, I think it's a good representation. It's like a mix of everything in there. Right. So, um, that's why, I mean, it's always so hard because it's like, should just be top, I don't even know, 30. <laughs> yeah. And, and notable for me, I guess was, um, Catherine Hartmuth, I think was left off this list. Um, had a stellar season, was second at UTMB, um, on the podium at Trail Worlds, et cetera. Like just had a great Transgrand Canary, I believe, earlier in the season. Just like had a great season. <clears throat> and then um Andrea Meyer, who's like the VK world champion of all world champions, <laughs> like also, I think was like left off in the top 10. But c'est la vie. Okay. Men, are you ready? Ready. Okay. Anthony Costales, we're going 10 to 1. Tyler Green, Stian Angermund, Germain Granger, Jonathan Albin, Aurelien Dunod Palaz, Tom Evans, Zach Miller, Remy Bonet, and Jim Walmsley in one. Any surprises? Same. It's just the same like mix of like how do you pick between uh, all the different distances and types of trail running and all that other stuff. But still, I mean, like all very deserving. Yeah, and it's I cool, think, like all their stories. I think aside from like the top three, all the other ones, like I could have seen Anthony Costales like at seven or Tyler Green at six, or it's just like I have no clue how to pick. I think Tom Evans obviously should be towards the top two because of his Western states, but like, yeah, trying to place them, so difficult. You know what could be a cool episode for Dylan if he listens to this? Is like, Come on, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's do an episode of like, kind of like a fly on the wall of like a group chat of how you're actually picking these and like the discussions that took place or like you know like a podcast interview of like mm. what was the thought process for choosing different people yeah I, I mean I can tell you in the in the men's side I had Remy in one and Steon in two and Jim in three I think like it just like it's so different but we weighted the vote this year a little bit which helped um, to kind of like take out some of the bias where we gave athletes from the PTRA um, extra extra weight, um, selected media members extra weight. And then if you're in the top 10 fantasy free trail for the whole season, 
extra weight, which I think helped a little bit as far as to like skew or I guess like take out some of the bias of people who might not follow the sport quite as closely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Keely, a reflection time talking <laughs> 2023 to 2024 before we dive into our meat and potatoes for today. I just want to hear a little bit about your, like your headspace and setting this up and like wanting to reflect <laughs> on like coming out of 2023 and into 2024. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been asking me lately about resolutions and if I plan resolutions and all that. And I think my answer has been uniformly that I mostly just reflect. And then I think by reflecting, you create some, you know, resolutions if you want to call them that, but just like ambitions and and like thoughts about 2024 because you've reflected on 2023 and you can take those reflections into 2024 and so I thought it'd just be fun to be a little more purposeful with our reflections and I don't know talk about them on the pod and like actually dive into some of our learnings and proud moments and challenges of 2023 because I think it's easy to talk about challenges but I think it's also important to like be proud of yourself or something so uh, that was kind of my thought. I love it. Where should we kick off? Mm -hmm. Biggest learnings from 2023? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hillary, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm 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 calling all the shots today. You're on the spot. Biggest learning 2023. Oh gosh, these things are gonna make me cry because I like have thought about all this and done a lot of like reflecting and journaling about it. Biggest learning from 2023 is like this sounds funny because I'm gonna say in the third person. Like I say this to myself, it's like you like trust yourself because I remember early in the season, like very early, like February, I shut things down really early because I felt something that wasn't right. And I ended up like getting an MRI and having like not even a, a level one of a stress reaction in my foot, but I felt it and I knew something was wrong and I trusted myself enough to like to stop. So that is like, kind of the proof is in the pudding like trust yourself lean like know you know that you know yourself and like just like trust your gut I think and continuing that in 2024 mm-hmm. that's hard friend yeah putting me on the spot with the chew on a <laughs> chew on a cough drop here um I think for me the biggest reflection I had was actually on the podcast at one point in time in which I was like you know if I if my season was any of my friends season, you know, if I was just like anyone that I ran with regularly, I'd be so stoked for them. Like I'd be so thrilled with, you know, getting like finishing a hundred miler and being on the podium and, um, you know, getting back into start lines and finding, you know, find getting to finish more than one ultra this year, et cetera. I'd be so stoked for them, but because it's me and I'm like, well, I'm this professional athlete and I, should be doing better than this. Like I was very critical about it internally and just like taking a moment to step back and be like, okay, like I need to be kinder to myself. Mm -hmm. Like if this was, if I was, this season was any of my friends, I'd be so stoked for them. And because I see it through this other lens, I'm like, wow, what a bad pro athlete. And it's just like taking a moment to reflect on that and like recognize that that's like not going to benefit me or help me or make me better. And just like being kinder to myself and and getting to like feel stoked about what I did do. Mm. I love mm-hmm. that. I remember that too. And I was like, that was like totally on the spot. That, that was just like, like a total like random is... reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it became a huge learning for me. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's so important because 
yeah, it's all what we make of it. What we put ourselves, like what we think of ourselves is what we make of it, not what anyone else thinks. What happens between the yeah. ears. It's good. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. What about you, Keely? Um, I'm actually like kind of going to riff off of our last conversation with Grayson um, because I've said this to multiple people. I don't remember who said it first. It probably was Grayson, but I might just be stealing it. So I'm going to just kind of go off of it. But um, I think my biggest learning was that the year may not go as planned at all. And you might be riding it as like a crazy roller coaster ride and you have to be okay with that. And you have to be able to stay like present with yourself. Because I think if you let that dictate how you show up every day, um, that's just a recipe for disaster. And so I think I've had to do just a lot of reflection on how I want to show up every day and how I want my mindset to be every day, because there's just been a lot of stuff this year that just never went as planned and you can't change it. So you just have to be able to roll with it and you can't let it dictate your life. Yeah. I think that's super, super valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So flipping that all on its head, and maybe this is what you are most proud of as well, right? <laughs> like, but it's like, what are like, what are you guys all most proud of from 2023? And maybe it's not running related. Maybe it's life related or whatnot. Like what, like, mm-hmm. where are you guys sitting with that? Hillary, putting you on the spot again. Got it. I've got it ready. Two things. Um, so things I'm most proud of, trying mountain biking and like just like going <laughs> full into um like three races and three pretty competitive races. Like I'm very proud of myself for having the courage to do that. And then also having the courage to be like, yo, I don't want to do this too intensely because it's a good way to get hurt. Um, but very proud of that. And then um Yeah. The other thing is, is when I had some pretty difficult moments this year, like having the courage to reach out and get more support. Um, and that's always hard for me. And so I was very, very proud of that because it's actually, you know, made a difference. So, um, and one of those things is like adding a different, um, or new sports psychologist to my team. So yeah. Mm. Very cool. Uh, I I have one. I think mine thing that I'm most proud of is going on the medical school journey because for years I'd been kicking it down the sidewalk of like, Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's very intimidating to me because I initially wanted to go to med school out of my undergrad and getting ready for med school, like was alongside a really bad disordered eating relationship. And so I wasn't doing well in school. I wasn't happy with myself. I was just like obsessively, like thinking about fueling and training and running and trying to get into med school. And it was just like this huge stress ball. And I was not myself and I was not happy. And that was, you know, a decade ago. But when I decided to go back on this journey, it brought back all those feelings. And so I started the journey extremely unconfident in myself that I was like, not going to get into med school. And so I think like, I'm just proud that I took the jump and tried to do this thing and believed in myself enough to do it. And, you know, ultimately ended up in me getting into med school, which is awesome. But I think I'm just proud that I took the jump because I was kind of a head case going in and I really had to like talk to myself and believe in myself. And obviously a ton of people helped me make that decision and believe in myself as well, because they all believed in me, but definitely proud that I, that I did that. Yeah. It's huge jump into the unknown. I think the thing I'm most proud of this year is that I spend a lot of time feeling that I'm like flailing forward. Um, you know, like we joked that like out for 2024 was imposter syndrome in our social media posts, but like truly, like, I feel like I've, I've spent 
spent all my 20s like flailing forward like I'm moving in a forward direction but where no one knows like treading water (laughs) a little bit and I was like man I'm gonna turn 30 and it's just gonna like figure itself out and I turned 30 in the midst of the pandemic and it did not figure itself out um and I continued to feel like I was flailing a little bit and you know that was also like moving around the country for Stephen to go to school and um all that kind of stuff kind of piled in there and you know I work I still work a bunch of random jobs that all somehow become a living but I am more grounded in that than I ever have been and not trying to fight it as much. Like, I feel like it always felt like a holdover place. Like it wasn't like I was in limbo. Like it wasn't like my actual career. It wasn't my real job. And I feel like I'm finally in a place where I'm like, no, like I, this is my job. Even if it's got a couple different fingers to it, like it's, this is my job. And it feels, I feel like I've finally been able to like do things like establish boundaries around it because I like treat it like a job, not like this like thing that I happen to do. And so I think that like, and that, that, that's coaching, that's my own running, that's some of the writing that, that I do. It's like treating it like a job allows me to like respect that time and mm-hmm. respect myself. And I think that like that means that I can flail a lot less, less flailing <laughs> out for 2024 flailing okay a little bit of flailing for sure okay let's talk biggest challenge which might already have kind of come up a little bit in like biggest learning from 2023 but if there's anything else that stood out to you about like challenge that you had to overcome this year mine was yeah mine was just uh um like it, it was always like a fairly minor thing that I that I had to do for like you know, shaving a bone spurs. And I really didn't, I could get right on the bike afterwards. Like navigating that injury recovery was really difficult for me because it definitely was not, was not straightforward and they never are, but it was just, um, very prolonged. And that was just, yeah, that was difficult to, to overcome and navigate. Mm -hmm. Me biggest challenge. Oh man, I feel like it was kind of the end of the 2023 bingo card a little bit of like things just kind of going off the rails, Mm -hmm. but just like recognizing that, you know, I have dealt with injury. I've dealt with all sorts of like weird nonsense. And I just feel like there wasn't any one specific challenge that felt like a big one. It was just like all the little hurdles that come up and it's just like you learn to adapt and adjust. And, And I think learning to ask for help through all of them has been huge. And I think maybe, maybe that's the biggest challenge I ever came was like actually asking for help. And that's like from your community, from your support system, from your coaches, from the people in your corner, from your broader community, like all of you guys that are listening to this, um, from my team managers, just like learning to ask for help felt like a hurdle in a weird way, but it's made every challenge that has come up this year so much easier to get, to get through, to get by, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's hard to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Makes me feel weak, but it's like totally necessary. It's like one of the strongest things. How about I let's know, do that for is. the ins, ins in 2024, asking, asking for help. help. <laughs> at it, at it. Okay. I love it. Okay. Keely, what about you? Biggest, um, biggest challenge? I think my biggest challenge was navigating the post shoulder dislocation injury for me. It wasn't, it wasn't just the 30 minutes you spent on the ground trying to oh, re relocate your shoulder. <laughs> No, I think it brought up so much PTSD for me because I had the same injury in in high school with basketball. And that was the injury that spiraled me into like really bad disordered eating, really bad body image, bad self-confidence. And so 
for me, it felt like I was back to stare like square one where I was out of control of my own life again, where I'm like, wow, I had this freak thing happen and now I can't do the thing that I love. And therefore I'm no longer in control of my life. And I think mm. that at its core has been the issue behind a lot of my mental turmoil for my whole life. And I think pair that with, you know, navigating med school uh, interviews and acceptances and not knowing what my life's going to be like in a year, I think that lack of control was like the biggest hurdle I had to get through. And it took me like months of navigating it to try to figure out how to do that. And I just had to keep constantly checking myself that I wasn't resorting to bad habits and like falling back down that spiral of like, what can I control? I can control my fueling. I can control my training. And instead of controlling them in a negative way where I normally would, you know, lack, like maybe stop fueling or stop an overtrain, I had to be like, no. I have to check myself. I need to stay true to what I know and I need to continue to fuel so that my body can keep training and not, you know, stop fueling so that I can control something. Um, so yeah, those months of just trying to stay on top of it. And I think for the most part, I kept myself in check, but it was like really difficult and obviously had to also ask for help and talk with a lot of people about it and just verbalize these feelings so that I knew they were there and not like try to suppress them and therefore probably struggle even more. Agreed. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people just because it is that, that element of control. Okay. Final thing before we dive into meat and potatoes, and this will actually kind of like, I think blend really nicely into our meat and potatoes for today, which is about constructing a season, um, kind of holistically. But the last thing we want to talk about is, and Hillary, you mentioned this kind of at the top of the podcast about, you know, you don't really set resolutions, but you think about, you reflect on like what you want to bring with you into the the new year. And so it's something that you want to either change or adjust or just bring forward with you into 2024. Yeah, I have a couple things that I think kind of on that community piece for me, like, and since we're going to talk about constructing a season, like for me, racing is so much more than just the race itself. It's the whole experience. It's the whole process leading up to it. Like what you learn in training, how you adjust. But for me also the race itself is so important and like being able to interact with like the good community of local runners, but also just like the event itself. And for me, the epitome of that is like coming back to a race like Transylvania. Not only is that where we started our community, our, our friendship, Corinne, but like just like sky running and just like I used to live in Spain. And so like being able to go there and interact with, with that group again. Um, and it's a really challenging race. Um, and that kind of like brings both aspects uh, together for me. So um, yeah, taking that with me into 2024. Heck yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think the thing I'm taking with me into 2024 is kind of like the energy in versus energy out thing. And it like, that's like very holistic. It's going to be about my, like, you know, that's about my work. That's about my running. That's about my home life and relationships and friendships, et cetera. But I think what I'm bringing into 2024 is that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And it's like, I am really good at overextending myself. Um, if you've sent me an email, you probably understand what I'm talking about. Um, I do get back to you eventually, I promise. Um, but yeah, if it's not, if it's not a hell yes, it's, it's a no and that's okay. And I, I think it, like just like getting comfortable with that is really important and just like trying to fill, not fill my time, but like make time to do the things that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so important. 2024 in the year of the hell yes, not the yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, lots of ins and lots of outs to 2024. Keely, what about you? What are you bringing with you to 2024? I feel like mine is similar to yours in the sense that um, I realize, and I I feel like I learn this every year, I need to pick races in, in relation to running 
that I want to do and that bring me a lot of stoke and not because I feel like I need to do them or I feel like I can do really well with them. And I think last year with Western States, I love that race and I want to do that race, but I definitely got a little too serious, I think, for my own running. And I think time and time again, I just proved to myself that the races I enter that I want to do and that I feel like I'm going to do well at, but I'm also doing because I want to, and I'm stoked, um, always go the best. And then you also leave them feeling the best by yourself. So, um, I'll take that into 2024 when I'm planning my race schedule and I'll just sign up for stuff that I'm super stoked for and try to keep that mentality even going into the race so that I don't take myself too seriously. Cause I already take myself too seriously. I don't need the extra seriousness. It's just, it's the recipe for disaster. <laughs> what? We're all a bunch of type a individuals. I don't <laughs> understand. Actually, I'm a 90 percenter. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but I'm the person that likes to get 90% of it done. And then the final 10% takes me like so much energy. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, like, it's like, I'm a lazy perfectionist. Like I want it to be really good, but the last 10%, my lord it's impossible <laughs> okay reflecting on all that things we're bringing into 2024 we're going to talk about constructing a race calendar we've talked about this a little bit kind of in passing a bunch over the course of the last year or so but we want to dive into it a little bit more today and so we're gonna to try to wear both of our both our coaching hats because all three of us coach runners and our athlete hats because we're all working on our 2024 calendars and we want to talk about just setting up the season it's january right now and I don't know what your athlete calls have been like, but mine have been all about setting up the race calendar, what those goals are, how the lotteries have gone, you know, how do we construct this big, complete picture? And so to kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about like, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that you see people make or you've made personally? And this kind of ties mm -hmm. into what Keely maybe just said. What, what are some of those biggest mistakes that you can do when you're first sitting down to maybe try to construct a calendar? Haley, you want to take that one first? I'm just going to keep putting you on the spot. So yeah, sorry. you're good. Um, so I think, and yeah, I've had a lot of those similar, um, those conversations to my athletes and then also like inside my own head of like, you know, almost like decision fatigue. Like I think a, a common, um, something that's really hard is like entering all the lotteries. And then it's oh. like, you want to do all the races then you get in. It's like, oh, okay, well, we can't, we can't do all of these. We have to like plan it out. If you're getting into all the lotteries, good on you. I, yeah, Give me some of your juju, hard. please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then that's actually how happened to a couple athletes of mine. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing, the question I'd always then ask is like, prioritize your races between A and B goals. And like, what is your, like, what is your priority? So that really helps like kind of like a thought process. Cause then it forces you to choose. It forces you to kind of bin them and then kind of planning out a season according to that. I mean, personally, and I also work with, with other athletes, um, who are multi-sport, but for me too, it's like, and kind of reflecting on Grace and Grace and Murphy's episode that we just put out, um, you know, how do you prioritize a schedule around, um, different sporting events? And it's the same thing. You need to prioritize them a versus B versus C. Um, and that you can kind of, I think that's the framework. That's like, I need the a scaffolding. button. I need like a er, er, trail 101 button interjection. <laughs> um, can we quickly, before we let Keely answer the same question, cause we'll talk about this more later too. Can we define a B and C ah. races real quick? Just because it's like, People might, people maybe have never put together a calendar before. Right. People maybe have never thought about their season as a big whole thing. So what are, what in your minds is an A versus B versus C race? 
I'll give a quick definition. I think, I think a, for, for me, I think definitely it's around performance goals. Like if you have something that you want to like PR at, if it's something you've run in the past, but I also think an a goal can also be a new distance. If it's a new, like if it's your first hundred mile race, not necessarily like a performance goal for fast times, um, or a, a, like a placing of a, of a, like a finish goal. Um, but it can be a, a new distance PR, so to speak, a new distance first, like that would be prioritized as an A goal for me as well. And then B goals, I think are something that could support it, right? You can still have a fast time, but like, um, you know, it's, it's something that is uses a kind of a supporting race to get you to the A goal. It'd be a training race, one right. might say, right? Like, mm-hmm maybe not tapering for it, but, and then C goals, I think are like C races are kind of like fun. Like maybe you're using it as a training day. Maybe, maybe you're using it, um, to build towards something else, but it's like, we're not tapering for it, et cetera. It's kind of like the thing that you're, you, you are pinning a bib on, but that is like, we know going in, it's not the highest race priority. And then you get to prioritize them based on that. Yeah, a lot of my bike races are taking that C category goal this year. I love it. I love <laughs> As it. As opposed to 2023. <laughs> yeah. No, every, you know, it's all about kind of defining those things. Mm-hmm. Keely, what about you as far as like biggest, biggest mistake you might see someone make when it comes to trying to set up a season? Or maybe you've made this mistake. You're muted. We love you. There you go. Sorry, I'm unmuted so I could cough. Um, we're all coughing. <laughs> so I think that the biggest mistake I've seen athletes do, and I've also probably done it, is pick a race because they feel like they have to and not because they want to. And so, you know, someone might be thinking along the lines of, oh, I've ran a 100K, so therefore I must run a 100 mile this year. And they're not doing it because they want to, but they think that it's just the next logical progression from a 100 kilometer race. And so they feel like they have to do it to prove themselves. And no, you don't have to do that. Those races never really go as planned. And when they get hard, you're not going to have that motivation to continue for yourself. You're just going to have the motivation to continue because you think you have to. And that is not great motivation. (laughs) Let me tell you, like you're going to have stuff go wrong and that's going to be easy to drop from. And so I now reframe like our year planning as what brings you the most stoke. That might be someone wanting to run their own backyard half marathon or backyard 50K or backyard whatever, or it could be a really big prestigious race, but it doesn't really matter what it is. It just needs to be what drives you. It can even be like, I just want to become a better runner. I don't even have a race. And so I always just try to be like, Hey, what is the thing that brings you the most stoke about the year? And we will plan your year around that. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can just be what inherently makes you the most stoked. And that's kind of been the goal of all of our calls. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that later, kind of about like how goals can drive a season to select races or to build a goal around the races that you've selected, et cetera, in a little bit. And then um, I think my, the biggest mistake I see athletes making is like not setting out a season goal. And it's like, they're just, go, they're running race to race and it's like, they finish a race and then they're like, Hey, I'm going to sign up for this thing. That's like six weeks away. And Hey, I actually, I'm going to do this thing. It's like the impulsive racer who also wants to perform at those events. And it's like, Hey, 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 like if we want to perform at these things, we like, we have to plan mm-hmm. for them. Like you're going to, you're not setting yourself up for success. If you're just like going race to race, it's one thing to like, maybe you have an early mile or an early mile, an early season long race. And you're not sure how the recovery is going to go, et cetera. That's one thing to plan for like the first half of the season and then kind of reevaluate. But it's like the, the race to race thing is just like very, uh, 
ends up, I think, coming back to bite you a little bit. And same goes for like, you just dropped out of your last race of the season. And now you feel obligated to do one more race to cleanse the palate. And I feel like that oftentimes does not go to plan, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I want to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about kind of like, yeah, you're having that initial call with an athlete, or maybe you're doing this for yourself. Like you're about to talk to your coach about it. Like, how do you go about like starting this process? And I know for me, like what I do personally is I'll kick this off is that I do a brain dump. Like it's either on a, it's probably, it's oftentimes in a note app that I put into a Google doc or something where it's like, I just, I just write down every race that I would like to do this year, which obviously is way too many races. And then it's like, okay, you can pare that down from there. Maybe there's a lottery involved. So maybe it's like the, if the lottery goes this way, this is my season. If the lottery goes that way, this is my season. And then bring that to my coach or to my support system and say, hey, what about this versus that, et cetera. And like weed out the races. But I like to start with a brain dump of like all the potential options. And I'm wondering if you guys have a specific way you set that up for yourself or you set that up with an athlete. Haley, take Hello. it. Um, yeah, honestly, that's very similar. Like personally, I have like the note app. How I actually do it is, um, so yeah, different races, but then I also try to like prioritize it with, okay, like what is the one goal that I want to target? And then I backtrack it from there and kind of try to like fill up the months. I kind of do it from like a month standpoint of like, what are these? What are these? Like, um, what, what should these months look like from a training and or racing perspective? And I kind of try to encourage that in my athletes as well. Um, it's usually obviously like lottery dependent, but I think I encourage the brain dump in the form of like an email of like, all right, send me everything that you're thinking about. And then like, let's, let's, um, like whittle it down from there or like make a really appropriate thing from there. Um, yeah. I love when they're like, okay, this is what I'm racing. Can you help me find a race to fill in here? And we're like, cool. Okay. Now I know that I'm looking for a hundred of 80 K to hundred K in July to prep you for this thing in early September. Cool. Like we can whittle it down to like what might fit in that box. And it's all of a sudden you're like, cool. The goal is covered. It's prepping us for this other thing. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's never blah, 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 but you, you know what I mean? Keely, what about you? Are you a brain, a brain dump person or how do you get that stuff started? <laughs> Uh, I'm not a brain dump person. I am a find a race once I feel stoked for a race person and then build very strategically around that. Um, so like right now I just have Chuckanut on my schedule and that is all that I'm planning to race as of now, because nothing else is super exciting to me yet. And I think as I get back into training post, the stoke will come. Yeah, the soak will come and then I will pick my race and then I'll kind of plan around those and pick more races. But I think like post Inthanon, like I felt like I was postmenopausal. And so picking a race while I have these mood swings and <laughs> hormonal swings would have been really silly. <laughs> so You're like I was not stable. Yeah, I was I not like in a place. Pick, yeah, I like to pick a race that brings me the most stoke and then plan around that. And that's exactly what I tell my athletes too. So if the only thing they can think about, again, it depends on the athletes. If the only thing they can think about is a race that's in February and they don't want to think about after that, then we do not think about after that race until we've had the race, we recover from the race, we have time to digest the race, and then we think about what we're going to do next. Other athletes are like, one athlete of mine, they love to just like pick all their races, right? And they will plan everything around those races. And then then I just advise them, okay, you have these races. If you want to do another race, this would be a great time to do one at this kind of distance. Make sure it's between these weeks so that it's hitting around this time before this other race. Um and so it really depends on the athlete, uh, in my opinion, for how you kind of set the whole season up. Yeah. Some people need color coded Google Docs. Some people need a, a really long winded text message. It all it all gets done. So we've talked a little bit about Stoke and identifying goals and 
you know, I think that that's really, really important having that stoker or just like a rationale for why you want to do the thing and why that makes you excited. Like I've picked, I, I knew that I needed to get better at running flatter, faster races. So I kind of picked races to reflect that because outside of my skill set, and that became the goal and the focus. And I'm wondering kind of beyond the stoke, maybe how do you help yourself or athletes identify those goals? Or is it like, Hey, I got into high lonesome. My goal is now high lonesome. Like, how do you, like, how do you either like take, maybe an athlete comes to you and they say, Hey, I want to get better at X. How do you make a race season kind of fit that versus like do the races on the other side of things, just like kind of like play out and you've got to find a goal to kind of like bring it all together. I know it's kind of a nebulous question, but I think it does kind of help shape a season. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'll start from like a different kind of a different perspective, but the same thing. It's like I had an athlete recently who, you know, like they did the whole thing, like build up, like did, you know, 100 mile race. And it's like, okay, well, now like I have to do 100 mile races, but I could tell like their excitement and their like stoke for the training of it is was kind of like declining. And so, you know, it's like, okay, like let's take a step back. Like what actually seems fun? And like, what are some like race distances that actually like excite you to train for? So like asking those questions and like kind of observing as a coach of like, okay, is this, is this actually good with your schedule? Like, do you have enough time to train for these? Do you actually like running hundred miles? If the answer is no, that's okay. <laughs> um, and so I think that was the, the answer. And so like, then like now shaping a season, like around the season of 50 Ks, like a shorter distances that seem- more fun. And, um, and now like kind of what the idea that we're playing around is like different 50 Ks, like maybe a faster runnable one in the spring, maybe a more mountainous one in the summer, and then something else just completely for fun or out in left field for the fall. So you have like blocks of training that can support it. And we don't necessarily need to fit in races to support that, but like have specific training that kind of provide a little bit of a variety throughout the year. That's something, um, that that's an example of how I would help plan a season there. Do you guys, this makes me think of, I haven't thought about this in a while actually, but I've, I used to say a lot that it's interesting when you have athletes who's what they want to do versus what they feel like they need to do don't align at all. And it's just like, why are we fighting this? Like you're telling me that you like want that you quote, that you think you want to do this thing, but that doesn't align with like, your actual like love of training, right? Like I, I, I want to do X race. I want to do your a hundred mile, like the verdiest thing out there, but they don't like to do hills, right? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, how are we going to make this align? Or they don't want to do a six hour long run. It's like, okay, how do these things coalesce? And it's like this, like this juxtaposition between like, what do you actually like to do day to day to day versus how does that align with your goals. And I felt like for the longest time, half of my job as a coach was helping athletes figure out how those things could go together without like them getting burnt out. Because I thought that I felt like a lot of athletes were fighting it because they felt obligated to do a certain thing versus like picking goals that aligned with like what they actually enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a quick thing with that, that's exactly, I feel the same way, like, well, also personally, but definitely helping athletes, like kind of figuring it out. Cause as a coach, you kind of get a nice, like backseat and a perspective that a lot of athletes don't have personally, um, like in their own life. Right. Like we get, we get that cool, like perspective piece. Um, but it's like the, for like forming goals, one-on-one, the easiest way to be able to accomplish your goals is choosing something that you actually like you can do. Like if, 
you know, if you want, if you don't really like doing hills, but you're picking a race that requires a lot of it, like, well, are you actually going to be able to accomplish that goal if you won't, if you, if like, that's not your kind of like default or go-to. So yeah, it's like being able to kind of exactly like, like toe the line between like your desires, but actually like what you're, what you actually can accomplish. Right. Yeah, totally. Keely, what about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that there's two thought processes I go through. It's like finding the overall goal for the season and then finding goals for each race. I think they're very different. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for some athletes, like their goal is like a certain race, but that race is maybe a longer distance than they've done, or they typically get a lot of race nerves. So then in order to get to that goal, our goal of the season is to like do races that decrease their race nerves and get them more comfortable on start lines and get them so that they get to that goal race. They don't put as much pressure on themselves. They don't feel intimidated by the start line, all of these things. And so I think it's like find the overarching goal for the season. Again, that could be just to become a better runner. That could be to get to this hundred mile race and then find goals that kind of fill that in. And then each of those races will have their own goals too. So maybe if you do get a lot of nerves from this race, maybe you're going to do a little local 15 K and the goal is just to have fun. So that like, kind of like what Grayson said in the last episode, you can then take how you felt on that day where you had no pressure on yourself and you can put that towards that bigger goal you have. Um, and so I like having like a lot of different goals for different races, but then maybe they all kind of go towards that big overarching goal. Yeah. And it's like, I think we've talked about like smart goals and that kind of stuff on here before, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think it's important to kind of establish those, those weekly goals, those monthly goals, those race day goals, those season wide goals. Like they don't all have to be this like big monstrous thing to check off. They can be like these very Mm bite-sized goals to get you to the big, the big thing. And even during, during the big thing too, it's like a lot of my athletes, I'm just like, cool. What is your little goal for this aid station? Check. What is your little goal for this aid station? It's like, cool. This one, take a selfie eating something weird. Like, (laughs) and if you give them these goals of like, oh, your only goal is to eat this many calories between these aid stations or really check in with yourself and make sure you're fueling while you're hydrating while you're feeling okay. Like a lot of those internal goals will get them to the finish line in a stellar time. Right. But it's never, the goal is never the finish line. The goal is just like these checkpoints and checking in with yourself. Love it. Mm-hmm. I wanted Keely or Keely Hillary. Is there anything that you wanted to add to add to that before we kind of move on to talking about like how you fill out a season around a races? No, I mean, I just think that it's, it, it takes the pressure off of like that bigger goal, like exactly what Keely had to have said to have like the, the little like supplementary goals. I think about, I think I love to do lists and I think like little, like little supplementary goals, it's like basically little dopamine rushes. So it's like as many of those as you can have, it's like, I think it helps like take the bigger pressure off and it's, it's really important. I mean, there's neuroscience that backs it up. So the first thing on my to-do list is write a to-do list. So I get to cross (laughs) something off immediately. Mine's not quite that bad, but I, I, I can appreciate that Corinne. Make coffee done (laughs) easy. Um, okay. So I want to talk about like you picked a races, which we talked about earlier. Like those are your focus events for the year. How do you add on complimentary races to help fill out the season? And we're going to talk more about multi-sporting in like in a second. So we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need to like dig dig into that but talking about like picking a few primary a races or a primary a race and then how do you personally or with athletes kind of set up events to build towards that thing kind of giving them b or c designations yeah i mean so like if if it's a very 
like hilly, like let's take a, a big like hilly course, a hilly mountain course in the summer, right? It's like maybe now in if you live in a place where there's um snow and other other things, it's like finding, you know, maybe now is not the time to kind of do all the vert. Um and it's because it takes a lot of time. It maybe is a little bit more taxing if you have to wear micro spikes, etc. for running. You can find other ways to kind of get invert, whether that's different sports, but um, like, you know, then having, um, having different races or not even races, but like bigger training, um, events, uh, kind of designated like different months out. I like to kind of backtrack it. So like if a, if a goal race is in July, then like backtrack kind of some bigger races, like in, um, or events in July, June, um, uh, May and like kind of build up, uh, the, the, the vert basically that you're going to do to prepare you for a race like that. Mm-hmm. Keely, what about for you as far as like developing kind of a strategy of of building into an A race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think again, it depends on the athlete. I think some athletes don't want to do other races or they can't do other races leading up to it. So maybe they are balancing training with a family and a job and they're just like, hey, I actually can't really do a race before this big race. And I'm like, cool. All right. We're not going to do any races. We'll create some routes at home to get you motivated. We'll do some fun long runs on our own. Um, But in that case, like we just roll with those punches, right? We just develop the season over that one race and we'll just get them to that race. Other races, other athletes, like they want to incorporate other races before the long run. And so like, for instance, if someone's training to run a 100 mile, and they have the training bandwidth and the life bandwidth to do say a 50 mile before that hundred mile, then I'd really want to be strategic about where we put that 50 mile. And in my mind, I think like six weeks out or eight weeks out is I think perfect for people who want to get a go at the distance, but also have enough time to recover for that hundred mile distance. Um, mm-hmm. And then there, that race is never going to be, let's go to the well, right? Cause you won't recover in time if you go to the well at that 50 for that hundred but the goal is to finish that 50 knowing you could keep going because I think when they finish that 50 miles and they feel like they can keep going, then they know they can finish the hundred and figuring out their fueling plan or their hydration plan during that 50 mile, having to navigate it and adapt it. If they find issues with it is all just things that will help them for that, that, that a goal. And so I think that's kind of how we go about picking those B, B, B races as ones that are time, timed perfectly so that you actually can recover, but you can reflect on that experience and use it to fuel your next race in the sense that it gives you the confidence to know that you can do the next race too. Yeah. And I don't think like training races are absolutely necessary. Like if an athlete nope. can't make it work, it doesn't work. And we do mm-hmm. training instead. Like we can get the stuff done via training, but I will say too, a way that I use B and C races is with athletes who want to do a lot. Like they have a lot on there. They, they've got so many races they want to do. And then it's like, okay, let's choose the races that you want to perform at here to the, like, like, let's like pick one or two of these based on how it's spread out throughout the year. Maybe it's more than that. And we're going to like have a taper for it, et cetera, versus other ones where it's like the the goal is more experiential and then be able to designate B or C goals just because they they want to race a lot or they want to do this Ragnar with friends or they want to do this local half marathon or they want to do um, this, you know, race that their friend puts on, et cetera. But maybe the, there's not a performance goal there. It's just about showing up and being part of the community. Then we can give those races a B or a C designation and kind of like just like allows us to identify like hey like the races that we're prioritizing 
are these and these other races we're going to do, but they're just, they're building towards, um, our actual kind of physical goals of the year, which I think is sometimes important when you've got an athlete who has like 12 races picked out for the calendar season. Like even like we'll reflect more on our own schedules later on, but like if I look at like my spring, like Chuckanut Gorge, Transvolcania, like Chuckanut and Transvolcania are the races that I'm going to prioritize in that mix. And then Gorge is going to be more of a social community experiential weekend. But, you know, like, so I'll give it a, a B designation instead. So just kind of trying to think about things in that way. Yay. Okay. Zooming out. What everyone wants to talk about, you're a multi-sporter and maybe that's because it's January and you're skiing a lot because you live in a snowy place, or maybe you do do two different race seasons. So I want to talk both about working with athletes and using your own experience here too, that either there's two categories here. I think of two where it's like they distinctly race two different sports. So maybe it's like the skiers, either Nordic or Schemo in the winter, who are doing a race season, and then they run in the summer, balancing those two things. And then, or or it's like they want to run and race on the bike in a summer season or spring to fall season, or versus the runners who just like to do other things. I'm talking about it's, you know, you're me. I'm not doing any schema races, but I sure as heck like skiing. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I'm going to ride my bike throughout the summer, but I might not be jumping into a bike race. Like Those are two different categories, like having to balance two different race seasons versus balancing just a runner who really likes other activities. Mm-hmm. So I guess, Hilly, I'd like to start with you first, talking about balancing those two race seasons. And then I think we'll kind of meld from there, Keely, with you and I more about kind of like balancing the athlete who just likes to do everything all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, basically have done it in the years past. And obviously this, this season for me personally was, was a bit different because I was, I was racing on the bike, um, like exclusively for about six months. Um, and so, I mean, I'm not big into ski racing, so I'm just taking it from like the cycling side. And, um, I think how, how Grayson was talking about it too, was, was really cool in our last episode, but generally speaking, how I, how I do it. And then this is how I apply it to athletes that I coach is, um, you know, where, where does it make sense? Like, where do you want to have like your bike racing versus your running racing and designating that a versus B and you can still have an a bike race and an a running race but figuring out where that actually fits into the season. And really the most important thing with anything is, you know, like for, for at least for cycling, um, it is endurance. And so it does actually, it does, you know, cross over, but there is a different kind of specificity that works for each of them. So kind of ramping up the time spent at a specific sport at crucial moments um, before, you know, big A races on a bike and, and then, you know, kind of switching that volume and that specificity when you're trying to, to run more. The good thing with that is that like it, they both contribute to a good base. Um, but it definitely like, if I'm going to be doing a bike race in the spring, which, which I am personally, um, making sure I do some more specific bike workouts, uh, and then kind of shifting that more to, to more running focus. If I have a big, a big running race goal. Yeah. And then I think for the skiers, I'll talk to them briefly. I've got skiers who race more traditional schemo or shorter ski races, like not ski marathons, although ski marathons, you know, they're 50 K ish distances and they're taking two, two and a half hours at times, like fairly fast 
depending on conditions. Um, so they're not too, too long, but oftentimes those races in general are a little bit shorter as far as like, you know, they're 10 Ks, they're 15 Ks, et cetera. So it can be a nice like speed block for athletes akin to like focusing on a road marathon for the spring and then moving into trail season. I think Nordic and schemo can kind of feed that where it's a little bit higher intensity before you go into like longer endurance stuff for the summer. So I think it can be like a very symbiotic or a good way to bridge from one season to the next versus yeah, balancing those B and C goals throughout the course of an overlapping season feels a little bit different. And then I think the other part of that is like Keely, I want to hear your thoughts here and, and Hilly, you can chime in as well as the, the, the runner who just likes to do a bunch of stuff, right? Does that mean that you seasonally say, Hey, you can bike now, but let's not bike here. Like, is that, uh, you know, when, when is like the, I call it long leash versus short leash <laughs> season a little bit. Like right now it's long leash season races are a ways away versus yeah. like short leash where it's like, Hey, the focus is this a race type of thing. Like how do you utilize that notion personally? And then with athletes who might want to spend time doing other things. Yeah. I think the first thing that I try to kind of suss out is their motivation for doing all of the things, because I think sometimes the motivation for moving all the time is unhealthy. Um, and so I think you first need to really understand that. And, and sometimes that won't come out for, you know, the first year of your relationship, right? Like maybe they come across as doing it all for really good reasons and they feel like they're balancing everything, but maybe once they gain your trust, you do find that it's a little bit of a disordered reason behind it. Um, I think really figuring that out is important because if that is the reason, then you really need to have a short leash on it because they could just be putting themselves into low energy availability by exercising all the time. So I think, first of all, you need to figure that out. I think once you've figured that out and if you do deem it a healthy relationship and just something that brings them stoke and something you can balance, I think, yeah, there are seasons to the to the leash length, like you said. Um, I think when it's their off season where they're just building aerobic fitness, you can give them general guidelines of, you know, Hey, it's okay to go do this today. Sometimes I just like to put in like a generic training emblem and be like, Hey, today is your day to do whatever the heck you want. Like if that's rock climbing or running or biking or skiing or whatever the heck go do it. That's awesome. Cap it at this amount of time. I don't want you going for five hours, but like, let's do something reasonable. Um, and then, yeah, I think short leash is when you're training for a specific race. I think you do need to rein in all of those extra exercises that do drain your energy because you need it for those specific workouts. But I do think that cross training is a great way to supplement exercise and running. So I think always having it in there, especially for runners that are injury prone is awesome. But again, short leashing it so that they don't feel like every single day they get to go ride their bike on it in addition to their running, but that it's serving a specific purpose. And so, you know, this day is just a bike day because we're building aerobic fitness and you're getting your fix of the bike, but you're not using it as like additional exercise on top of all the running where they might end up being too energy depleted to actually be a efficient at running and potentially lead to injury or under fueling or overtraining or all of these things. Yeah. I think it's easy for runners to think that cycling like doesn't count type of thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. It, it like counts. definitely, it definitely counts. My, my short leash becomes like, I really love mountain biking and I have to at some point like step, step away from the mountain bike a little bit. Cause it's like, cool. I can't really afford to have a whoopsie today. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm X number of weeks out from my big race. And, and I, I even toned back my skiing too, in and around like certain like seasons where I'm like, okay, like I really, man, like tearing my ACL would really suck today. So it's like <laughs> just trying to be, I mean, it would suck anytime, but 
the notion being like, okay, like I'm going to make decisions to kind of protect my, my A goal here and just like know that that's important. Haley, anything to add, add to that notion? No, I think that's good. And I think I was like, that was also just a personal learning curve that happened to me. Um, because like, you know, I felt very much so that cycling and other sports was like a consolation prize to running. <laughs> um, and I didn't really think that you could get like fit, but, um, you can and it definitely does like it does yeah it does count and um you know not only in like my example of me but like also just other other pros out there who've had who've like used the bike to come back from injury and have been super strong um and yeah kind of like leaning into that multi-sport has been a game changer for like I like identity shift and like how I view sport in general not just running um and so like kind of taking that wisdom and applying it to to my athletes whether they're overcoming an injury or just excited about other sports too thick I love it okay so we're gonna put it all together now before we kind of wrap things up for today and it's uh talking about like looking at our seasons coming up and just kind of reflecting on the like why you picked certain races what the overarching goal might be, how a race might be a B or a C race to build into something else. Um, just kind of talking through what we currently know. And obviously seasons are subject to change. Like this is all, you know, this is not etched in stone. We've taken no blood oath to do these things, but just kind of reflecting or, or looking forward to what we think 2024 might hold, just reflecting on how we established those to be the goal build there. So Hillary, because I know you've got stuff already in the calendar for <laughs> biking and running. I'd love for you to talk us through what is currently laid out for 2024. Yeah. So a lot of my cycling events, and I do have some fun ones. Um, they're mostly, they're just for fun. Um, uh, I want, I want to do them. They're going to be like training stimulus. Sure. They're not going to be like a zero day. There's some pretty like, um, cool, but most, most of them are around adventures, like longer kind of training blocks to provide that it either come like before or after a, like a, um, a running training block that'll provide a little bit of just like a break from the pounding and just doing something else. Um, so it's kind of like a mental and physical like reset. Um, although not total physical reset, <laughs> but the running, the running events this year, uh, for me, a big, the big goal race for me is UTMB. And so, um, my whole, um, strategy this year is to use races, uh, as my long runs. Like I don't need to be putting in a lot of, um, you know, big jump miles. Like I've been, you know, racing competitively, competitively for 10 years. You know, I, I kind of, I want to use races as a, as a point to practice nutrition and as like long runs. Um, and then like having very purposeful training in between those, but not overdoing it. So, um, that's kind of how I've produced the scaffolding. I'm putting the finishing touches on it, trying to figure out the other races, but, um, right now Transalcania yeah. we know is in May. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other inklings of what you might be racing in that like to you to utilize things to build towards UTMB and obviously not set in stone but you've done the brain dump right I know you've done yeah. the brain dump somewhere I so have what done are, the what brain are dump. potential what are potential <laughs> options here yeah so something I'm thinking about is the broken arrow um in there and then Lavarito, but like the middle distance the 80k Cool. Um, 80k or the 50k. So not the long one. Cause I believe that that's a little bit too much, uh, too soon, too close together. Um, yeah. So cool. in there and then build, build kind of some European time into UTMB. It sounds like exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Love it. 
Love it, love it. I know, Keely, you were saying that your your stoke is only aligned this far for chucking up, but I do know that your overarching goal is to maybe spend some time doing some things internationally ahead mm-hmm. of medical school starting. So I'm wondering, you're not a brain dump person, but I'm wondering what you're toying with and like, you know, why, why chucking up and then kind of like what maybe what you're toying with to kind of meet that other like travel urge goal mm-hmm. before med school. Yeah, I... I definitely chose chucking up because I was craving a faster race and I also didn't want to travel a ton in the early part of the season. And so for me, chucking up is a no brainer. Chrissy's amazing. I love the course. I love the race. I love how many people it draws and how competitive it is. So that to me was like checked all the boxes. Um, and after that, I think, yeah, my goal is to race races that I don't think I'll get the opportunity to race in the next seven, eight years. So I think traveling for them is highly likely. And there's a lot that are on my radar that bring me a lot of stoke. I think the ultra trail majors, I think that's what it's called. Trail world majors is exciting. And some of those races seem really cool. I've not gone to a lot of them. And so I think trying to fit some of them in maybe two of those in to be like kind of in that series would be really cool. Um, Obviously I got into UTMB through Inthanon and that for me is like a big question mark, uh, if I'll do it or not. And so, um, both because I don't know if I want to go to that race and also because med school might be in full swing by then. So kind of a TBD on that one, but yeah, I definitely want to travel abroad more, get some of the races that I don't think I'll be able to finish in the near future out of the way and be able to, you know, go have fun and do the races that I want to do. So yeah, motto of the 2024 race season is just stoke. Um, so I love it. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, so I can kind of reflect on mine and, and you guys have heard a lot about my spring already, but yeah, lining up that kind of chuck and nut gorge Transvolcania checks the community box for me, checks mm-hmm. the, um, the racing locally box for me at these really amazing events that are super competitive, super well put together, but have that community vibe and feel it's, I think the 30th anniversary for chuck and nut. So it'll oh, be wow. a big, a cool. big deal there as well, which is really exciting. Um, so like that, that was really important to me. They're all like, you know, Chuck and Nut is 90 minutes from me. Gorgeous two and a half hours from me. That makes life pretty easy when it comes to juggling a small dog around as well in that mix. <laughs> I'm trying to be kind to my, to my partner and like when dog care is needed. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's the thing there are, there, that's our practice child, you know, I'm trying, to, trying to make sure that <laughs> she's not locked in a room somewhere. Um, but so yeah, those are, those are like competitive, but they fit well in the calendar, et cetera. I've run Chuck and twice excited to go back there. I've raced the hundred K gorge before in the old edition of the race and excited to be there to work some media stuff, but also, um, hopefully run the 50 K there more of like a B race for me, just kind of social involvement. And then Transvolcania was one of my first ever international races. I it's an Adidas race. So again, another level layer of this all mm-hmm. that many, many people might not have to deal with is that we also have sponsor obligations mm-hmm. to take into account. And so I actually have a meeting tomorrow after recording this with my one of our marketing managers to talk about my season um to reflect like our team's goals but also my like what I need to do personally this year mm-hmm. um and so Transvolcania is a team race for Adidas so we've got support there it's a higher priority event for us um so we'll have a, like a, a more full team there running the marathon and then running the ultra distance so that'll be kind of a cool way to check in with my team and kind of put in my time so to speak but it's mm-hmm. it's it's always positive but it's like you have to check the boxes a little bit as well 
So I really want to go there. I dropped out of Transvolcania when I raced it last time. I had a back injury and they gave me a muscle relaxant on course. So I had to stop because they gave me a, a shot in my butt and they're like, you want to continue? And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so going back there to finish some business feels pretty good. And then mm-hmm. I would like to do some sort of mountainous race this year. That's a hard rock qualifier. So I'm looking at like run rabbit right now, which would be a September race or going and doing the Swiss Alps race that Ryan Thrower and um, Kevin did last year mm-hmm. um, that Tim Tolson helped crew at. Uh, I think that's an early August race. So that's on the the, cal- the list poten- of potentials. So trying to do a, a August to mid-September 100 mile of some sort will kind of be like what I'm building my season towards. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is something like Run Rabbit, that means I could do something fun in July, like a race like Tushers here locally, or go to Europe to kind of like check another box for Adidas at an event or do an FKT in my backyard. But the goal will be like a spring season and then some stuff in the summer building towards a mountainous 100 mile that's a little bit TBD mm-hmm. right now as I try to make sure that everyone is happy both me personally, but also like making sure that my sponsorship obligations are taken care of, which is just a fun, a fun layer that we don't talk about a whole lot, but it's definitely prevalent in all of our lives. Yeah, I know. That's the tricky part of, Mm -hmm. I mean, even, even comes down to like, that's the tricky part around the UTMB thing right now, to be frank, is that my sponsors 100% want me to race UTMB and I get paid for my rent through my sponsors. And so a really tricky balance right now i think for those of us who make a living through the sport it's hard for us to be like at least for some of us to say like line in the sand i'm not doing utmb um totally. when some of our sponsors say hey you need to either race western states or utmb and if i don't feel like running western states this year what is my UTMB alternative option yeah, yeah totally 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 and there's some stuff going kind of on behind the scenes too with some of that that'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks and, mm-hmm. and months a little bit there but yeah i think it's one of those things i told someone recently well if we keep showing up for free, no one's ever going to get paid. And that goes <laughs> for like races, utilizing athletes to, mm-hmm. but like the spot, like our sponsors personally are what's funding UTMB week, right? They house mm-hmm. us, they get us there, they take care of us, they pay our bonuses, mm-hmm. et cetera. So like some events need to start wanting to kind of give back to that ecosystem a little bit more besides just like, well, we're the media team behind it. Yeah. So Time will tell interesting things on the horizon for everyone. Um, But to wrap things up, we got a society slam before we let you all go (laughs) today. And I think what Hilly pulled was kind of just like our end of year post and some of the comments on that. And one comment that I thought was really cool was just talking about like interviewing adjacent endurance athletes that contribute in a really big way to women in sport, et cetera. And Jesse Diggins was one of those suggestions. She's obviously in the midst of a very busy race season right now, but hopefully maybe this spring when she's home, um, we can find a way to get her on the pod because that would be super freaking cool. <laughs> really yeah, cool. So cool. Jesse Diggins, I'm sending I'm sending vibes out into the world for you. You can make us do a TikTok dance or something. We'll we'll trade. We'll trade. We'll learn a dance and you can come on the podcast. Uh, but I thought that was really, really cool to see uh-huh. like people being stoked about some of that kind of yeah. stuff. And the love we got from all of the fans for that post was really cool. So thank you for commenting. Thank you for following, liking everything, posting, commenting to us. We love it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It makes and us feel like we're doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I had someone shout out to me the other day on my run, like across the bridge, running up to Thurman in Portland. They're like, love the pod. <laughs> that is, I that is like, really I cool. I looked at Rachel Drake and I was like, that's why I do it. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, I was like, the only reason I do race commentary. The only reason I do race commentary is because it's like for people's moms. So like people will be like, my mom thinks you're amazing. And I'm like, my mother-in-law loves you. I do it for the moms a hundred percent. Yeah. So that's the same with like the pod too. It's really cool getting to meet you guys in the wild. Yeah. So to speak, right. Like out on trails or out during races. So keep, keep doing this. Like, it's not weird. I promise. Keep saying (laughs) hi. We, we, it's really cool actually. Um, okay. I think like maybe the last thing we'll say is the ins. We said ins for ins for this year. Well, we added some apparently during this podcast, but I just I like, added one there at the end. <laughs> live live podcasts, getting new athletes to start lines, second breakfast, and asking for help is is in, and then yeah. out things we're not doing in twenty twenty four: imposter syndrome, under fueling, standing at the back of start lines, and what else did we say? Something about energy in versus energy out but yeah, yeah. Out, and, out. and I want to like clarify the start lines one somebody reached out and was like I don't quite understand what that means and I'm like it's getting new faces to the front of the start line yeah, so getting the women start to lines, the front of the start line yeah, etc so the start lines look more diverse and then therefore you know they don't look as intimidating to those of us who want to start the sport and maybe look at the start lines and are like oh that's a bunch of white men maybe yeah a wall, a wall of white diverse. dudes isn't yeah. exactly so I don't My care favorite what speed you're running. Message. Get closer to the front. Just move your way up there. Please. Get up there. Yeah. So <laughs> one reason I love Chrissy and Chuck and I is that she'll like just pull women to the front of the start line and be like, perfect. You're right here now. Love it. Okay. Ins and outs. Uh, I guess maybe, maybe slide into our DMs with your ins and outs for... 2024 be curious to hear what your resolutions are what you're taking with you into 2024 what you're leaving behind in 2023 because we are done with that (laughs) nonsense um but i guess until next time we'll see you out on the trails